You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm Sally Christie and here in the cave with me tonight I have Cerise Howard. Welcome back, Cerise. It's been a couple of weeks. That it has. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you back here. Just thought I'd confirm that I'm aware of the passage yeah. of time and I'm, I'm <laughs> down with that and, and I know my comings and goings and I'm on top of it. I've, I've, I've got this. And uh, as always, we have the wonderful Emma as always. West. As, as always. always. No, well, you I had feel one. like the Simon Cowell of That's, this show. I'm, I'm starting to feel like the Simon Cowell of this show. Well, let's call you You've, the evergreen Emma Westwood. Yeah. E- 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 ever- I like that. Hmm. <laughs> Welcome to you too, Emma. Thanks. Sally, although you are the evergreen one, if we had vision in here, I'm the Simon would... Cowell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like Beautiful it. Beautiful in green, though. <laughs> so on tonight's show, we are going to look at the underground world of gay porn production in 1979 Paris with a giallo twist in Knife Plus Heart or Knife and Heart, however you prefer to say it. I think I like Knife Plus Heart better, so I'm going to call it that throughout the show and we will also take our first leap on Plato's Cave correct me if I'm wrong have we done any VR stuff before I'm not a hundred percent sure that we have or haven't I don't I don't think that we have so we're taking our first leap Hmm. into virtual reality with our acclaimed visual artist Joan Ross's 18th century colonial landscape did you ask the river But first, we are going to look at Australian director Anthony Mara's debut feature, Hotel Mumbai. So Hotel Mumbai is based on the true story of the devastating terrorist attacks on the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel in 2008. There were 12 coordinated attacks in the city that killed 174 people and left over 300 people injured. Uh, In the film, the terrifying assault brings together guests and staff of the luxurious hotel, including wealthy new parents David and Zara, Russian businessman Vasali, and the newly promoted waiter Arjan in a desperate fight for survival. So the story focuses on their courage, their resilience, and their unwavering desire to survive. Um, I think it's worth saying that I feel that Hotel Mumbai is was always going to be a difficult film to view but due to the absolutely devastating effects that took um, place in Christchurch on on Friday uh, I felt that Hotel Mumbai was exceptionally hard viewing for me personally. Um, Cerise, how did you go with Hotel Mumbai? Yeah, it's exceedingly difficult uh, to watch given the events in my mother country and um, I, I think I might have actually felt quite profound ambivalence towards this film at any rate, and, and partly that's because I actually consider it to be a very well-made film. Um, but I, I, it, it's a very suspenseful film, and the, it, there's sort of an ethics of suspense at play here, I feel. A film like this introduces us to a, a cherry-picked cast of characters with whom we are to empathise or follow throughout the course of the film. And there are a range of people, and I suspect because there is an Australian co-production element here, there are more Australians that we're asked to get to know and care for than there might have been otherwise. Um, For for a a narrative that's chiefly concerned with uh, a terrorist attack that has originated people in Pakistan who've become radicalised and come to 
take out a grudge that they've clearly had fostered in them by some shadowy figure uh, on India, which, uh, according to these very young boys, I mean, really, they're just boys, you know, they, they, they feel that somehow India has left Pakistan behind and they've got all this hatred built up in them. Um, and so they've come to, to wreak terrible havoc uh, at the Taj Hotel and other points in, in the city of Mumbai. But this film is asking us to care about a whole lot of people other than uh, the, the Indians. And there's um, some really, really interesting dynamics at play. And, and the, for me, they're ethically complex that, I mean, yes, the, the real events happened in a hotel. And yes, there might well be a, a culture, a certain hospitality culture at play there, whereby the guest is God. That, that is a slogan we hear a couple of times behind yeah, the scenes in the kitchen. and A lot yeah. in the film. And that... Um, that, that attitude almost infects the narrative that we are to care a lot about these Westerners and one cartoonish Russian um, played by Jason Isaacs. I love is, Jason Isaacs. I mean, yeah, he, he nails it. And, and I do like that he's a, a repugnant character who does have some redeeming qualities, but he's also just a grotesque cartoonish <laughs> Russian villain. But I think there's just, yeah, there's, there's something... Even if, if these events in Christchurch hadn't happened, and of course we all wish they really hadn't, I think this would still be a hugely problematic film mm. because it, it generates so much suspense um, out of your uh, attaching your sympathies and empathies towards characters um, who uh, that the film is then going to play with as, as if it's sort of a sport. Who's going to make it? Who's mm. going to get out at the end? And so, it, it, in a way, it takes on a little bit of that sort of energy and dynamism of, uh, not quite at this level, but the, the Raid. Do you remember that extraordinary yes. Indonesian film? There, mm -hmm. there were points where I felt like I was watching Funny Games. Yeah, funny Games. Yeah, yeah right. Well, <laughs> well, I, I, really felt, yes. mm. yeah, I really felt like I was watching The Raid, but in a flashy mm. hotel rather than a, a terrifying um, sort of commission block type. Uh, it wasn't quite as martial arts as it wasn't the as martial artsy or as, no or as improbable though this is still a fairly improbable story and yet based on facts mm. it's just yeah i think this this film can't help but be problematic um I, I do appreciate that it gets us to empathize with the baddies as well that it does humanize them which is always interesting and doesn't make them out to be too uh one-dimensional or two-dimensional but still it's um this is a, such a problematic film and it's interesting and I'm, I'm really keen to hear what, how, you, how you both responded to it. Yeah, I, I get what you mean by saying it's problematic. Uh, I think it's it had me on the edge of my seat, let's just say. I, I didn't expect that from it. In some ways, I think its title, Hotel Mumbai, is a bit of a, a shame because it just sounds derivative of Hotel Rwanda to me and it makes it sound like it's um, it's just uh, riding on the coattails of another film, which mm. was another very suspenseful film, obviously, around... Um, well, not obviously. If you've seen it, you'll know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, but I think this film does have its, you know, its, 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 its own film, let's say. Uh, it... As you were talking about the pro problematic nature of it, it's interesting because it's like watching something like United 93, the Paul Greengrass film, um, although handled incredibly differently. I think in that film it was actually trying to work with the the people that were on that flight, um, that terrible flight that went into, was it Pennsylvania? Somewhere somewhere in somewhere in America, the, one of the flights that went down during the 9-11 attacks, um, not into the buildings, but um, that the, the actual uh, American pilot flew into the ground or whatever. But this one, as you said, that 
I think it's the idea of taking that pastiche of characters, um, it all of a sudden you create a little bit of a cartoonish edge to it. It's really hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to explain. It's, uh, it makes it, um, they're, well, they're construct, they're character constructs, even though I can see why they did that. It was probably a much more thoughtful process to do that, to take a whole lot of experiences and create fictional characters. Because uh, I can, these are really recent events. This was what, 2000 and 2008. Mm. 2008. Yeah, so very, very so, recent. So, yeah, so this mm. is going to be something that's, you know, really raw and, well, look what we've just had happen in the last yeah. few days. So incredibly raw. But there was one character, which was a character of the chef, that w- I believe was actually based on that character and um, who I, d- I have a feeling he might be still working at that hotel because that hotel came back into operation. But um, what Cerise was saying about actually um, giving us some context with the the attackers was really interesting, even though they were incredibly cold. I mean, the coldness was so allarming in the way that they went through. Sorry, Sally, you've got to look on your face. What do you want to <laughs> no, say? No, no, I was just thinking that, that they were cold, but there were these weird um, injections of humour with the attackers when they were going through and they were eating food off the trolley. And, and looking at the toilet and going, they even, yeah. they, you know, even chitty and style or whatever because um, they'd never seen a toilet flush saying you know spit it out it's pork and then yeah. going you stupid dickhead this is vegetable eat this so there was um you know we weren't we were given some sort of backstory to them a, a little bit but we were also given some kind of humor to them too which i thought was quite interesting yeah i think this was really this film uh, just so everyone knows this is actually um Primarily an Australian production, an yeah, Australian director, and um, lots of funding from Screen Aust- Australia yeah. and the Adelaide Film Festival. It was, uh, I think, quite a, a chunk of it was filmed in Adelaide. Yeah, I think yeah. the hotel was filmed in Adelaide, mm. and then the actual, uh, you know, street scenes were filmed in India. But it, yeah, it had me. I, there's a there's a problem to it, but it had me. It it really did have me on the edge of my seat. This uh, this film, I uh, more so than I expected it to be. Even though you'd say the subject matter, you would think that w- would go with the territory, not necessarily. So, I I have to say, I feel very sorry for the filmmakers that they've had to release this film in the current climate here in their in their native land, shall we say, because um, it has been pulled from the screens in New Zealand, understandably out of sensitivity. Um, It will probably, unfortunately, affect its release in Australia. But I think that if... I still would like... I would like people to see this film. That's how I feel about it. I um, am with you on this, Emma. I I definitely see there were big issues, particularly with... um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the character's name or the actor's name. Is it Dev? Dev Patel. Yep. Dev Patel. Um, there was one particular scene with him and a uh, client at the hotel where he was offering to undo, he, you know, his sort of religious garb, which I yeah. felt, found a bit rubbish because <laughs> there was this, this whole kind of thing what Cerise was saying before is that the, the guest is God. Um, heightened sentimentality as well a little bit. I felt that that took it too far in that kind of sense but I really was on the edge of my seat for this film and I I did feel really affected by it as well. I found it 
to be incredibly brutal. Um, we talked last week about the house that Jack built and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I love violent movies, you know. Oh, I love that. But then I, 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 I did find this movie to be brutal in a way that at points I did find quite shocking. It wasn't um, theatrical violence. No, that's it why. absolutely wasn't yeah. theatrical violence. So, and I did think it was a beautifully made film too. It really did take me by surprise, but there were big problems with it where we're looking at these guests that we want to get through, but we're forgetting about <laughs> all these other people that are either heart and soul of this hotel and of this community and of the country that it's based in. There was a bit of symbolism, I felt. Uh, I'll be interested to see what you guys think that um, played out really strongly to me and gave another dimension to the film, which was that amazing floral arrangement they had in the foyer. I noticed that a lot too. Yeah, (laughs) it was very central and it was quite stunning. And there is one stage where they, when they raid the hotel, that that kind of topples and this big ball of flowers, like it's a very heavy looking floral arrangement, sort of falls over. And it felt like um, a number of historical footage that I've seen where you would see like, you know, Mussolini's statue topple or, you know, Saddam Hussein's statue topple. Mm-hmm. It had this, felt like it had that sort of symbolism to me. And there's this thing where these attackers go in there and they say this looks like power paradise and then that falls over yes yeah 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 Yeah. and it it kind of added a a little bit more depth for me in in there but um yeah there's just something that needles you about I guess it's all that um you know just two perfect um moments that come into play or stuff that just seems a little bit too perfect as you both said the the characters that we are to give our sympathies with, do really feel cartoonish. Mm, mm. And it was, I think, very obvious from the get-go who would survive this attack and who wouldn't. Mm. Well, I don't know. I, it was totally obvious because, I mean, if, if I think I'd f- thought it was really obvious, I wouldn't have experienced the suspense as dramatically as yeah, I did. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And then found the suspense as... as uh, as sort of almost ethically compromising as I did because I just felt very uncomfortable about being asked to care about Army Hammer. Uh, really? <laughs> Didn't you like call me by your name? Yeah, so. yeah. But that's, that's, that exists in another narrative yeah, very universe. Very and this is, yeah, these are real You're events. About so so let's this, care about an American. The social network. Yeah. But, and also, also his Americanisms uh, were quite ridiculous. Yeah. How he was like, I want a Jack Daniels and Coke. I want a cheeseburger. It's like, oh, cheeseburger. Yeah. Give me a yeah, fucking that's break. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was his nostalgic gesture as well. Yeah. Let's get a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just... um. Yeah, in, in a way, it, it's a testament to how well this film was made. It generated suspense so effectively. Mm. But I just, yeah, I can't help but feel a bit uncomfortable about being asked to care about some characters within this film more than others when it's really against the backdrop of recent events. And it, I got to thinking, let's say if this was about the Bali bombings instead. Mm. Now, imagine a film made of that and uh, and if if the filmmaker, let's say it was an Australian filmmaker, probably would be, and who they would ask us to empathise with there. And it's just, I, I think, and, and you know, if, if this Christchurch thing, which has already been a live-streamed event and all mm. its immediacy and horror, uh, I, I just think there are such interesting ethical, problematic, problematic ethical dimensions to depicting real-life events and playing them 
for suspense. Mm. And it just, uh, I, I have the heebie-jeebies. I had them throughout this film. Mm. It is getting, everything seems to be getting closer and closer to us. Like there's where, where too soon, too soon. You yeah, know, it's, where it's is difficult when something is made you know, quite recently yeah. after events. So I yeah. remember seeing, uh, God, a thread on Facebook a little while ago, someone entertaining the thought of making a um, film about the Port Arthur massacre and somebody saying, you can't do that, you can't do that. That's and it's like, well, that was, can, what, but 30 years ago, 25 years ago 20, now? Uh, uh, I mean, something 25. like you think about all the stuff. I mean, we, we've been, around World War Two, where we've been, we've been, people will say we've been hammered with stories mm. now around World War Two, but it took a while. Yeah. It took a while and I think... I think it was only in the 1970s that Holocaust became the word of the time, you know, uh, and sh- we had things like Charles Lansman's Shoah come out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, but this is interesting because like- this does track the movements in a confined space of lots of people, some of whom we know are going to get blown away. And if these were real people, and we know there are you know, certain drama- uh, certain liberties taken in the interests of dra- dramatisation, but... You know, if these were actual real people and you're asked to... And maybe you don't remember who's who and you don't actually remember who it is who's going to get shot in the course of a, a dramatisation. I mean, I just... It would just give me the creeps in a mm, big way. Yeah. This is perhaps at one remove simply because we're a bit ignorant here of the actual people who died in this hotel because we're in Australia and it's a very Western-centric media and we don't get that sort of stuff reported I felt like here. that when mm. I was watching this film that I felt kind of embarrassed and ignorant about my lack of knowledge of the events to be honest Mm. Um, and that it was something quite recent and that I didn't know, a ho- like I was aware of it, but I didn't know a whole heap about it. So and absolutely I, devastating. Yeah. I mean, we, this like, film horrible focuses on the hotel, but as you said, it's like the we kind of start at the station mm. attack, which is you know some devastating stuff that is shown there. Yep. It's interesting. This film did get the audience award at the Adelaide Film Festival. I'm not. I'm not surprised that it actually did. Uh, hit a nerve with mm. people, shall we say. Yeah, I definitely think it's a well-made film and I think it's worth seeing for sure. Um, there are issues with it. but And, yeah, as I said before, it's a difficult film for, you know, considering the horrific things that have happened on Friday in Christchurch. So Hotel Mumbai is screening now on wide release. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. So the second film we're going to look at tonight is Knife Plus Hard, set in Paris of the summer of 1979. Anne produces third-rate gay porn. Her editor and her lover Lois leave her and she tries to win her back by shooting her most ambitious film yet with her trusted sidekick Archie. But one of her actors is brutally murdered and Anne gets caught up in a strange investigation that turns her life upside down. Uh, Emma... Tell us your thoughts on Knife Plus Heart. What a what a heady mix this film is. It's quite an onslaught of um, an oral visual onslaught and uh, very much a giallo film. Uh, it has been compared to a giallo in a number of places. In fact, I've got this great quote I'd like to read. It is a giallo film. It is a giallo <laughs> film, yes. Hollywood Reporter called it, if Dario Argento, Brian De Palma and Kenneth Anger conceived a three-way love trial while watching Cruising and listening to a Giorgio Moroder mixtape, the result would be something like Knife Plus Heart. <laughs> Can I just tell you, when you read that statement, my heart began to beat a little fast. <laughs> 
Well, do you, I think it, I, ha, I have to admit, I think it's slightly off. I think it's more if it was Sergio Martino rather than uh, Dario Argento. Um, it, it, it feels more like one of his films, but it does. What was interesting about this, and I've, you know, seeing some films that are 70s set, let's say, it does play a bit on 70s aesthetic, but um, it's, it does feel very much now, like a film of now presenting this, the 70s. And it's it doesn't feel... It's not like it's totally authentically representing anything. It's all bringing in all these little elements to create its own beast, shall we say. Uh, it's is set in the porn industry and I think a lot of stuff goes with what people will think coming into this film if there's uh, something said in the porn industry and anything I read before watching this film emphasised that it wasn't about the sex so I thought oh there's not going to be much sex in it. There was actually a hell of a lot of sex in this film but it was all presented to comic effect shall we say. Everything was hyper um, hyper reality uh, in, in a number of ways i mean the murder weapon is a basically a dildo with a knife in the end isn't it you know it's yeah. like it has it plays the electronic score which is m83 is is really stunning works to beautiful effect and it has i think strangely enough the film that it reminded me of the most was the limelight go- golem in recent years, the the kind of feel of that, that kind of um, really overripe craziness, you know, to it. The play on colour, the limelight golem, not surprisingly, played with green a lot. Um, and this has a number of different pools of colour. Yeah, a quite amazing little piece of cinema, really. Ah, it's a hoot. Yes. Uh, I had so much fun when I saw this. It was screened at MIFF last year. It's, it's just it's bouncing from festival to festival. So it's on at Queer Film Festival and the French Film Festival at the moment. It is such a film to see in a cinema um, because it is a, a sensorily uh, very overstimulating film. And that, that soundtrack, that M83 soundtrack, yes, it's a, got a whole lot of Giorgio Moroders about it, but I... When we mention the giallo forebears of a film like this, I especially think of Tenor, Argento's Tenebrae mm-hmm. and that amazing sort of electronic goblin score for that film, which is my favourite of all of their their scores, in fact, especially for his films. So, um, but then you throw this very queer sensibility. This is an uh, unarguably queer film, not a film with some queer stuff going on or it's just it happens to be set <laughs> in a gay porn um studio uh, it is the, everything in the sensibility this is where the kenneth anger comes in it is so queer and that those gay porn shoots in the film are hysterically funny really these these ridiculous characterizations yes. extremely paper thin characterizations as they role play I, mean, I, I had me in stitches um but it's it's really beautiful it's a, a, a very gorgeous film and interesting casting uh Vanessa Paradis in a, in a, a key role, but Alina Lurvenstein, who I hadn't really seen much of in ages. <gasps> She's just come out of the woodwork and she though, has, recently. And she yeah. appeared in another film that is drawing on similar influences mm. recently by another, uh, a pair of filmmakers, Kate and Forzani, who I, I think are really drawing on similar inspirations for films like uh, their recent Let the Corpses Tan, mm-hmm. The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears. These were guests at MIFF last year. And she was in um, Let the Corpses Tan as well. And I just, I get a little sense of, I, I like to think there's a wave 
She was a she was a Hal Hartley Hal Hartley girl, wasn't she? Yeah, she was in so many of his films. Yeah, and then I I hadn't seen her in anything for ages. No doubt she'd been working somewhere somehow, maybe on stage or maybe some films that never saw the light of day here or that I just had the misfortune to miss. But she's heaps of fun in this as Mm. well. She she is. It's interesting though you talking about that the queer angle. I found that in a lot of Giallo, there's there is quite a gender fluidity of mm. giallos that yeah, have always I feel been there, in, in the in the majority there is a big kind of gender reveal gender twist there's something there's going often on there. that yeah. but even you know the the very chiseled masculine characters have some sort of that's sort of pretty in some ways and then you've got always some characters that you're not sure which way they're going and and this kind of this just takes that and then <laughs> amplifies it, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Gialli always had quite... Uh, you know, if we think of key texts like Argento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage, that everything in that film hinges upon misreading of gender. And, and that the same up, thing with Deep Red as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and Tenebrae, I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. has a character who keeps appearing in flashback who's not known to the wider world, but in Italy she was very well known as a transgender personality yes, and yes, that's really exactly. key to that film's mysteries within mysteries nested within enigmas and riddles and such. I don't think she has any dialogue. She's just presented. She just has an film, amazing yes. pair of red heels yes. and knows, <laughs> knows how to wear them and where to stick them. Yeah. <laughs> But the Sergio Martino, now you're making me feel silly to say Sergio Martino. You just re- reeled off all these Dario Argento films. I felt uh, that Cerise. it was very Argento. It just somehow reminded me, I, I think it was more the storytelling of um, Martino's stuff, you uh-huh. know, that it, it just felt like it had the story twist. You, um, Argento sort of went into more <laughs> style over substance, shall we say, at one stage. But yeah, the earlier stuff that you're talking about is much more in line with uh, this film. Yeah. Um, I had a friend tell me that when they saw this film that this film was going to blow my fucking head off. Yeah. <laughs> and it did. It did. <laughs> it totally did. I felt like when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, this movie's been made just for me. Ah. <laughs> it had everything that I absolutely love. It was funny. It had split screens. It was yellow. It had this incredible soundtrack. There were cum shots in it. It was just <laughs> amazing. That's a Sally film. That's a <laughs> Sally Christie film and it had like quite brutal murders in it. So this is I, I, I don't know that I can articulate probably how I felt about this movie. Sally's going to pass out. I am. <laughs> but I just, oh my god, I loved it so much. I loved it. <laughs> Do you know what? It didn't strangely after saying all of this it it didn't uh, I didn't quite reach that, pardon the pun, the, the climax of emotion <laughs> with this I film. Did. But I realised, but I, I sat back and I thought about it and I, I realised and I, I will be completely transparent here and say I didn't see it at the cinema mm-hmm. and this is why we are telling you all tonight here it's going to have about another three or four screenings across yeah, two I, festivals. Yeah, I, I do have the dates that Yeah, we've got and it. really see it and I'm going to go as well because I feel like this is a film that, I mean, I watched it on a screener in my laptop on my laptop in bed. I want to see it in this yeah, proper, you are. It's yeah, yeah, so worth it. This it, proper space. It was uh, there's you know there's been quite a few films that have come out in recent years that have sort of been calling back to this sort of era of cinema. With I think the editor came out a few years ago, which was fun as well. But this I just loved, and I loved that. Um, 
every single that it was just so incredibly queer. I loved that. I love that we from correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't one heterosexual character in this film. I <laughs> not, don't not that springs to mind. No, no. or springs in any other. And way. even if there was one there, they were dubious. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just you know, it was excellent. It was just like I said. Getting tongue tied. It, it, ron- it, it. It, it rollicks along with the you know it gets to t- t- look. Giali I, l- I are love ridiculous, ridiculous cinema. Yeah. I love it. Giali are ridiculous, and that's mm. what people have to really you know. The, 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 there's the mystery. There's the, the detective story in there, and it's always going to be resolved with some really crazy, over the top twist. I was watching this by myself, and the opening scene I was sold on. And I was like, oh my god, this is so incredible. <laughs> I wish I had somebody to share this with right now. Well, I'll go with you. Yes, okay, we'll go. All right, we'll go right. watch yeah, it. This is either the best date movie. You'll ever go on, or possibly one of the worst. If it were somehow, if, just, if you want to take me on a date, then yeah. it's the best date I think movie. Greta was a good date film. I don't so. know. I don't know about that. Well, this, this would be a good litmus test if you wanted to get up a nice queer uh, thing happening with someone who had a taste for the flamboyant and extravagant and operatic and silly, but also brutal. Yeah, it's, there are so many things. Did you say brutal? Brutal. Brutal. Right. It was just fantastic. I thought this was an absolute riot and everything that makes me love cinema was this film. So, if I can't give it a glowing review enough, Knife Plus Heart (laughs) is screening um, on March 22nd as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and on March 24th, 30th and April 7th as part of the French Film Festival. So there's quite a few screenings and like we've all said, it is something that is definitely worth seeing on the big screen so get along to that three triple ah. our next film that we are going to close the show off with is did you ask the river which is something a little bit different to what we usually do in the cave it's a vr film so artist Joan Ross, whose work hangs in the National Gallery of, the, of, of Australia and the Museum of Contemporary Art, takes her first leap into virtual reality in this new installation at Acme. In the style of a first-person video game, visitors are invited to take on the body of an 18th-century colonial woman and given free reign to explore the landscape and transform it as they see fit. In doing so, they become complicit in its destruction. Um, Emma, you had, you went and experienced the virtual reality that is Did You Ask the River? I think I blew up the river at one stage (laughs) and I went back for more. Did you? I kept on blowing up the river. This, yes, this was, this is a really lovely work actually. I love this um, cross section of uh, Victorian era stuff with, um, with nature and with current themes. I think this works. It's, it's very picnic at Hanging Rock. It was very picnic at Hanging Rock, <laughs> <Yes>. wasn't it? <laughs> but um, this only goes for, I think we uh, probably best to point out that it only goes for seven minutes. So it's one person at a time at, at, at Acme um, and they have a virtual queue. So it's kind of a first in, first serve basis. You put down your name. And you can go and it's, it's a really good virtual queue. So you can put your name down, you can go and explore. Or other things at Acme and they'll, you know, text you when yeah. you, your time Yeah, exactly. Mm. And um, it's kind of encapsulated, it's a room 
basically the room acts as the the boundaries. Um, I've experienced some VR where you kind of uh, you're in an open space and you once you're moving out of the parameters, a cage sort of a you know sort of lit cage comes out, out so you know that you can't move any further. Uh, it's the obviously the the headset, it's the the hand uh, things, but it's kind of got a dual toggle stuff. I'm used to, uh, the only other VR I've used where I've had my hand movements has been about sort of pointing and throwing things across the room and this has a sort of trigger button then underneath like a little um, a sort of little latch key sort of thing where you can pick up things right so that idea is to use them underneath to pick up things Um, it's it's interesting because VR is still so so early in its life cycle and a lot of people I don't think have experienced it. And I think there's a lot of expectations around VR and I'm not sure how you went with the visibility, um, Sally, but I think we're so used to these really high def screens, but VR isn't like that. It's actually quite soft and a little bit a little bit clunky in some ways. Even really nice VR is still at that stage. Yeah, it was interesting because this was the first VR that I have ever done. The closest thing that I've got to VR before was perhaps, remember the Nightmare game? Ah! <laughs> the game oh, I love oh, it. Oh, my God, so good. Bring it back. <laughs> Bring it back. So, so when you first put on the goggles and you saw yourself and you're a Victorian woman in this frame mm-hmm. and you put on your lipstick because I know you did that first... <laughs> What did you think of the visual experience? It was... They really talked me through it before. Um, So the staff there kind of showed me what to expect. I could see images of already what it looked like. So I had an idea already in my head of what it was going to look like. So that was kind of no surprise. Um, One thing that I, I felt that I struggled with when I was having the VR experience was the space. I wasn't sure how much space I could take up. Um, There were these, I guess there were space indicators that were there, but it felt like it was a lot smaller than what it actually should have been. Does that make sense? Well, that's because your perception's changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It it felt like from the space that you see at Acme before you have the VR head set on and everything look quite big but then when I felt like I was walking around in this tiny circle over and over again she it's interesting um because they will tell you if they see you're going to be in danger walking into a wall or something I got her she 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 actually you know broke the VR wall and said to me you need to do this to pick up know what I was doing. See, no, I, I really was, I was explained, they went through and said, you know, when something flashes yellow, you can pick it up and then you can oh, interact with it. I didn't get that explanation because I said that I'd done. you at the end of the day? Yes. I was at the beginning of the day. <laughs> Everyone was feeling much more, much more vibrant. Uh, I, I think it is worthwhile, you know, telling people and even from, well, first of all, from what we're saying, you can see how um, the VR experience currently I think overwhelms the narrative experience mm. and that's just because it's a new a new medium that we all are exploring and trying to work out what we can do with it whereas and the idea is of choices but really uh, I don't know really there's no choice let's just say we we have choices within a, a boundaries because Joan Ross who did this commission wanted to make a comment around what we're doing with the environment and so forth and and that is what 
this is meant to be and is all about but it's very easy to get overwhelmed by oh there's a steak in that and I'm going to barbecue the steak and I'm going to catch the butterflies in the net you know we're all still a little bit I think consumed with experience and that will change a little bit yeah I felt very much like I had to be doing things the entire time like I when it ever anything flash yellow that I had to be picking it up and I had to interact with it. Um, I did find it curious, though, that there was instantly, as soon as it started, a pokey machine. Oh, yes. That didn't kind of... There was a lot of things that appeared later in the experience. So... I kind of was under the impression that I would come into this clean space and then I would basically destroy it, ah, um, you know, that with, my, with my bad choices, kind of like with when Homer does that in the third dimension. Yes. <laughs> I thought that it might be something like that. But, um, there, yeah, that there were these things there, like there was a mirror and there was lipstick and so, you know, you go and put that on, there was a, you know, a pokies, you could play that. Um, but it also depends on where you're looking. See, at the time see, you I could do it again. I found the space quite small. That, that was my kind of, I, I was like, am I doing this wrong because it feels tiny to me? Yeah, but that's where VR's more, I think we're so attuned to looking forward and looking at a screen and mm. it's really about looking looking right around and right around quite quickly to get a grasp of where you're at and down and up often. Uh, So, yeah, and so there might have been things going on that you didn't see early on. Yeah, it was interesting, though, how we could kind of um, go and mess things up. I think my favourite thing was when the rabbits appeared. Yes. Yes. I love the rabbits And you can make them multiply. Yeah. (laughs) How do you... Do that. I'm asking so, for a friend. Okay. Asking for a friend, Cerise. Basically, that there was one, one rabbit that appeared on the ground and you could lean down and touch it and then it would multiply and then you could touch that one it would multiply to the point where the entire floor that I had was covered in, in bunnies. Yes. Which is like, this <laughs> is was delightful. was a rooting, rooting rabbit. That, that like, doesn't sound very scientific. No. It, uh, it wasn't. No. I just no. had to touch them. Mm. There was... No funny business involved. Um, but, but, yeah, that, yeah. that was my favourite part of it. It is, it is interesting, though, this uh, – because I also, for the, you know, uh, first time went through that um, – what is it? The Black Mirror Bandersnatch narrative on, um, on Netflix on the weekend. I haven't done that weekend. yet. Yeah, well, it's not VR, but it is still interactive yeah. and playing on the old – well, I, I don't know whether you had them, Sally, but I had – Choose your own adventures. Oh, I had tons yes. of them. I yes. made them, them when I was little. I was yeah, obsessed everyone, with them. Everyone had choose now your own adventures. I'm adventure. really impressed, now, Were that I had kept any of them, but no. Into the bin. Oh, I was yeah. going to ask you to read them out on next Why? week's show and the callers could call shame. in and pick their next adventure. <laughs> That's our next show, I think. Yeah. <laughs> not, not next Plato's Cave, our, ne- our spin-off show. Our spin-off show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, but the, the similar thing with that, it just kind of made me think about this idea of this new form of narrative that you know around choice but not really and 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 bandersnatch did work nicely thematically with that it was all about Mm. this idea that um we think we have choices but you know our our destiny is predestined as such but uh what i i think i broke it to be totally honest when i was doing that well i kept on it it kind of reroutes you if it's not happy with how you're going (laughs) and it kind of says try again and then i do the same thing again and i kept on going 
throwing <laughs> like putting grenades in the river. Yeah, I okay. threw so many gr- grenades in the. You've window, done other like, VR things, haven't you? This wasn't I, your first. No, this wasn't my first. The other things that I said, I had poke, you know, pokey things with my hands mm-hmm. in a sort of animated world. And another one I did, which I um, was at MIF last year, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was one where it was based around um, a, a supposed UFO abduction in the late 1960s. And I particularly like that because that was working with um, actual actors who were acting out a scene and you kind of dropped down from the heavens into it and if you weren't looking down you just kind of slowly fell into it otherwise you could see yourself coming down on top of their heads and then you were walking around as this scene happened and then you were in the car with them when they got abducted by the ufos and i like this idea of playing with um retro culture and bringing in the the new as well so this idea um this thing uh, this vr commission with joan ross is another animated animated thing it was it was not as highly animated i think the one the one that i saw at miff had more of a pixar edge okay. this is sort of softer i got some actual selfies from this VR yeah tell it, i there, couldn't hold the camera properly i'm obviously a there was a special button that you had to press to take photographs which i was shown if was i had oh, if i hadn't no one been, me that if either. i hadn't been shown that um oh. i wouldn't have known uh so as I was going out, they're like, here are the selfies that you took with the Polaroid camera. Aww. But it was really great fun. It was. It was really great fun to go and experience that. And, now, you know, an incredible amount of work's gone into it. So Did You Ask the River is on daily at Acme at the moment from 10am till 5pm until March 31st. And um, like we mentioned before, there is a virtual queue. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R with myself, Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. Um, On tonight's show, we discussed Hotel Mumbai, which is on wide release, Knife Plus Heart, which is screening at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and the French Film Festival, so check out their guides. And also, Did You Ask the River, which is screening daily at Acme um, up until March 31st, their virtual reality experience. Um, Next week in the cave, we are going to be discussing Karen Kusama's latest offering, Destroyer, which I'm very excited about. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, Lego Movie 2, the second part and the Hal Asbury doco simply titled Hal. So you can subscribe to Plato's Cave Podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Um, A really huge thank you to Faith Everard for panelling the show tonight and also editing our podcast. So it is good night from us, but keep listening to Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.